0: Psalm chapter 51 tonight. So, if you have a Bible with you, if you have it on your phone, or however you have a copy of God's Word, we're going to be in Psalm uh, chapter number 51 tonight. And we're going to be continuing our series. It's not you, it's me. And we're going to do a little review uh, here in a little bit. But before I do that, I just want to say how awesome uh, my wife is. She's been uh, a great wife. We've been married uh, seven months now, which uh, you know is a milestone for us. We've been married for seven months. We got married December 11th, so uh, and then we moved out here shortly after that. And uh, we've enjoyed it. We've enjoyed being here. We've enjoyed being able to serve uh, with you all as well. Uh, but one of the things uh, uh, with me is I'm really not home very much. I'm here a lot, or I'm out with people a lot, and so I don't really get to be home with her all the time. So, so a lot she's she's home alone quite a bit, and so she's she's done very very awesome at keeping keeping the house going, making sure it's not destroyed by our maniac dog while we're go- while while I'm gone, right? So, uh, she she she's been doing a great job taking care of the house. She has this hobby that she's been doing since she was younger her dad uh got her into uh woodworking when she was very young and so she she does a lot of woodworking she finished pastor's desk and, and so well uh, she's been doing a couple things around the house and so we have this big dresser in our living room and uh, it's it's awesome it's it's a, like basically a big cabinet and we put our TV we put a bunch of decorations and stuff on there And and so she has been painting it the past couple days, which is interesting, because if you walked into our house this week, she was downstairs like sanding away at this dresser, like working super hard. And I was upstairs folding laundry. So a little bit (laughs) backwards, kind of funny, but um, so she's been sanding this dresser, she painted, she worked super, super hard on it, right? So we get home from church this afternoon and she walks in the house, she walks over to this cabinet. We've got her TV, really nice new paint on it. And she looks at the cabinet, And she's like, Nick, do you know where this came from? And we look at the cabinet, and there's this big red line on the cabinet, like like the paint had just already faded away. And she had worked so hard on it. And immediately, in my mind, I'm like, oh, no. I was like, this is bad. Because it's just me and her in the house, other than our dog. So so, And she knows that she didn't do it. So I'm, I'm freaking out now. I'm trying to figure out. And so immediately, when she asked that question, I feel like I am now in like a court of law. And I have to figure out, somehow, I have to figure out who else I could blame for it? And so I'm thinking through my head, I'm like, man, how could I blame the dog for this? Like how, what in the world could I say that would make her like think the dog did it? And then I thought, well, like, did I have Nate over recently? Could I blame him for it? Like, is there anything that I could do to make sure that she doesn't think it was me? Why? Because as human beings, we don't like to take ownership of something, one, that we didn't do, and two, that makes us look bad. Because if she would have walked in the house and the dishes were done and I didn't do it, and she was like, oh, thank you so much for the dishes, I probably would have been like, you are so welcome. Like, (laughs) you're welcome. But no, this was bad. It would look bad. And we don't like to take ownership of things that make us look bad. We love to own up to things that make us look good, but not so much to things that make us look not good. And so t- two weeks ago, we started this series called It's Not You, It's Me. And, and what we did a couple weeks ago was we learned the, the wrong way to respond to sin. In, in Genesis chapter 3, we, we learned that when, when Adam and Eve were confronted with their sin, their first reaction was to blame someone else. Uh, uh, Eve was confront, or Adam was confronted with his sin, and so he pointed to Eve, he pointed to another person. And, and then when Eve was confronted with Her sin, she she pointed to the serpent. And then Adam also blamed God. And so we learned that those are the three people that we blame. We blame other people, we we blame God, and we blame Satan. But often we don't take ownership of them. So last week we learned that the wrong response to sin is blame. This week we're going to learn that the right response to sin is ownership. So in Psalm chapter 51, it's, it's a really honest passage of Scripture. Why? Because of what has, has just happened in David's life leading up to Psalm 51. Psalm 51 takes place in David's worst failure of his life most of us, we know the story. David, he, he's on his rooftop one night because uh, he couldn't sleep. And so he's walking around, he looks down and he sees a woman bathing Bathsheba. And so he, he says to his serpents, why don't you like bring her to the house? She's attractive. I, I want her for myself. And the servants are like, no, David, that, that's, that's Uriah's wife. That's Bathsheba. You, you can't. And then he's like, no, I don't care. So he brings Bathsheba to the house. He, he has a, an inappropriate relationship with her and, and then she gets pregnant. And then David is trying to cover his tracks. So so he, he brings her husband, Uriah, back and, and from battle. And, and he says, Uriah, go, go home. Go be with your wife. And he says, no, I'm not going to do that. So then David gets Uriah drunk. And then da- Uriah still won't go home and be with his wife. So then David resorts to killing Uriah. So he sends Uriah back with a message to uh, his general. And David tells his general to send out Uriah into the battle. And then to have everyone else retreat, leave Uriah out there on his own and kill him. And then everything's fine, right? David got away with it, or so he thinks. He marries Bathsheba. They find out Bathsheba's pregnant. Uh, From everybody else's perspective, nothing has happened that has been scandalous or wrong. But one day, David, he's sitting on his throne. He's in his palace, and a man named Nathan walks in. Nathan, though he's a prophet, and God had told him everything that had happened. And Nathan, when he walks up to the throne, he begins to tell David a story. He tells David, hey, David, there's this guy in your kingdom that you might want to know about. And so David says, okay, well, what's going on? Like, What what, what did this guy do? And Nathan said, well, there's a guy, and he's a shepherd, right? He's got a bunch of sheep. He's a rich man. He's got a ton of sheep in his flock. And there was another poor man. He had one sheep, and that one sheep was as a daughter unto him. I mean, he ate the sheep, ate the same food that he did. He, he spent time with the sheep. He loved that sheep. And the rich man was walking by one day, and he saw the poor man's sheep, and he loved it. He wanted it, and so the rich man took the poor man's sheep, leaving him with nothing. Now, David's a shepherd right? And so, or at least he was a shepherd before he became a king and a warrior. So David, this immediately like heats him up. Like he is angry because he understands how a shepherd feels about their sheep. He understands, like pastor was talking about this morning, like shepherds love their sheep. Maybe they wouldn't die for them, but they love their sheep. And David knew this. And so immediately David is angry and he's like, I want you to bring me that guy. I want you to bring him into my palace. We're going to have him crucify. Like we're going to kill him right here because that is a heinous, awful offense. Like, I can't believe somebody would do that. Bring him in here. And Nathan looks at him. And he said, David, that's you. David, that's exactly what you did with Bathsheba. You had everything you could ever want. And yet you took the wife of Uriah and you killed him. And that is where David writes these words in Psalm 51. And so we're going to read verses 1 through 4. If you have your Bible open, look at it with me. David says this. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, And cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and clear when thou judgest. Now, we don't have time tonight to go through all 19 verses in Psalm chapter 51. I won't do that to you, I promise. I won't keep you that long tonight. But we're gonna go through these first four verses and we're gonna learn what it looks like to show ownership of your sin. Not to blame somebody else, not to say, well, it's really their fault and, and the underlying reason for my sin is because you know, of my wife or my kids or that person that introduced me to this. No, what David does here is he owns his sin he owns up to it. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at what it looks like to own your sin. And the first aspect that I see in these four verses is that ownership recognizes the character of God. Look at verse number one. David, right off the bat, he says this, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to unto the multitude of thy tender mercies blot out my transgressions. Now we have to remember like what I just said, what is going on in this story? David had just literally killed someone, like had someone murdered, like it would be the equivalent of hiring a hitman today and having someone go and kill someone else for you. Like that's what David did. And on top of that, he, 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 has, he has an inappropriate relationship with Bathsheba. And so there, there are commentators who, who, will, who will differ on this. Some people believe that it was a consensual relationship, that Bathsheba was all about it. And some people say that it wasn't consensual, that, that David was a king. He could do whatever he wanted. And so he told Bathsheba, like, this is what you're going to do. and I don't care what you think about it. So, so, so at best, David had, had adultery with somebody else's wife. And at the worst, David is a rapist. And then, and then he, he kills someone to cover up his crime. Like, David is not the kind of person that you want your, your son or your daughter to hang out with. He's not. He has just committed one of the heinous, the, the most heinous sins in Scripture. And think about this, if, you've did, if you did this to somebody. Like, if you committed a similar crime to someone else. Because remember, ultimately, who David committed the sin against was God. And so imagine like you commit this, this heinous, awful sin against someone else's son or or someone else's daughter. And then you go to them and you're like, hey, I know I destroyed your family. I know I wrecked your life. I know you, I wrecked your son's life and your daughter's life. I I know that they're not living anymore. Like they are not on this earth anymore. But could you not put me in jail? (laughs) Like What? no way you are going you're going to prison it would be irresponsible for me not to put you in prison you're crazy no you are going to jail I'm pursuing the death penalty like there is no way you're getting away with this but look at what David asks God have mercy upon me oh God how could David? After, after the awful sin that he has just committed? Go to God and ask him for mercy? Like, David, do you know what you just did? You, 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 you had an, a, a, a relationship with somebody else's wife, and then you killed him? Like, you, you want me to have mercy on you? How could David ask something like this of God? And I'll tell you why. Because David understood the character of his God. He, he understood God's character. David understood that God was holy. He understood that God was just, that he was a God of perfect justice. David understood all of that. But, but David also understood that his God was a God of abundant mercy. That, that's why David goes to God and says, hey, w- would you have mercy? mercy on me. In fact, the Bible goes as far as to say this in Ephesians 2, 4. He says, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. It's interesting, the only attribute of God that the Bible ever says that he's rich in is mercy. And David understood the character of his God. See, see, why does David start here is the question. Why does David start with with saying, hey, God, you're merciful and you're loving and you're kind. Like he goes to God, look what he says. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. So, so God, you're loving and you're kind. And then it says, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercy. So hey, God, I know you're loving and I know you're kind and I know you're, you're merciful. Like he is acknowledging the character of God. And the reason that David starts here, look, this is important. The reason that David starts with with acknowledging the character of his God is because he would not have gone to God if he didn't understand God's character. He wouldn't have. That's why we don't when we sin. That's why we try to hide it, or we try to blame shift. We try to say, "Well, it actually wasn't me, it wasn't my fault. like it was this person's fault or this person did this to me when I was younger, like, no, no, it really isn't my fault. We try to put it on somebody else or we try to shake it under the rudder. I'm not going to go to God right now because God's probably upset with me. But David goes to God and says, "God, you're loving. God, you're kind and God, you're merciful." I don't know how often you fly, but I really enjoy flying. I love almost every aspect of flying. When Gabby and I go on a trip, I really enjoy getting on a plane. I enjoy flying. There's one part of flying though that I do not enjoy. And Gabby will tell you this, like by by experience, I do not enjoy one part of flying. And that one part is TSA. I hate going through TSA. And you can ask her, like, we'll be going through the airport, and we'll get about five minutes away from the airport, and all of a sudden, I start sweating, right? Uh, and I'm like, what? Like, I'm, I'm like drenched in sweat. Like, I get all stressed. I get like snappy with her and stuff. And, and so, uh, we get into the airport, and I'm bringing my bags over. I'm super stiff. Like, I get super nervous. And, and they're checking my bags, and I put I weigh the bags and everything. And we walk over to the TSA, and I'm still, like, I'm drenched in sweat at this point. Like, it, it's bad. And, and I'll get so nervous, and we're going through the line. I'm like shaking, trying to get my ID out of my wallet. And I get get so nervous. She looks at me like, what's wrong with you? Like, do you need help? Like, can I get you medicine? What in the world? I get so nervous. I would be a terrible drug dealer. Like, it, it would be awful. But the reason I get so nervous is because I know that when I go through those x-rays, they're, they're looking for a reason not to let me through. The sad thing is, is that is how many of us look at our God. Like God's just this TSA agent in the sky who, who's looking at reasons, that, that, who looks for reasons not to have a relationship with us. Like he looks for reasons that he should be upset with us or that he should be angry with us. And the truth is he wouldn't have to look very hard if that's the kind of God that he was. But instead he covered them all with the blood of his son. And now when he looks at you, he doesn't see that anymore. He sees Jesus because Jesus took it all. Like God's not a TSA agent. He's a loving, kind, merciful God. And it's the that's the reason that we don't go to him. That's the reason that we don't own our sin is because we think that the moment we own our sin, lightning is going to come down from the sky, everything in our life is going to be so much terrible because God is going to begin to judge us for our sin. But friends, your sins have already been judged if you've put your faith in Jesus. It's already happened. He, he already put all of his wrath on his son on the cross, and now he is free to love you. And sure, he will chasten you if you go away from him, but he is Merciful. So David starts with understanding the character of his God. And that is where ownership starts. Because we will not own up to our sin if we don't understand who God is. We won't. It it won't happen. Because we're going to spend our life constantly trying to blame shift and say, no, it's that person's fault. No, it's that person's fault. It's it's you. It's not me. Until we realize that God is loving. And that he's merciful. And that he's kind. So ownership recognizes the character of God. But then look at what it says in verse number two. Ownership recognizes that you need, to, or that God needs to change you. Look at verse number two. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. So, so David says to, to wash me from mine iniquity. Now, one of the interesting things that I found when I was studying this picture or this this verse is the word that David uses for the word wash in this passage. It's interesting that he chooses this Hebrew word because when when Hebrews were were talking about washing themselves, like if they were going to talk about bathing or taking a bath or washing themselves in that way, they would use the word rahas. So, so if you go to 2 Kings 5, when Elisha tells Naaman to go wash in the Jordan seven times, the word for wash is the word rahas. If you go to 2 Samuel 11, when David sees Bathsheba washing herself on her roof, that word is the word rahas. It's the word that, that Jewish people would use for, for washing themselves, for taking a bath. But David doesn't use that word in this passage. Here, David uses a different word. He uses the word kabbas, which is the word that people would use for dirty, filthy laundry that needed to be washed. So, so what David is saying, David's not saying in this verse, like, I need to take a bath. Like, I just need you to wash the outside. I need you to make sure that I look good, okay? That's not what David is saying. David is comparing himself to a dirty, filthy, disgusting garment that needs to be completely wrung out and completely changed. See, that's different than we look at ourselves. Because some of us, like, we, 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 we act like, and this is me too, like a lot of times we act like, like God did himself a favor when he saved us. Like, man, God is lucky that I'm here. God's lucky to have me because if he didn't have me, man, I don't know what he would do. But David here compares himself to a garment that needs to be washed. Like, it's filthy. It's disgusting. And he's begging God in this verse to change him. And this is what he does in verses seven through 12. Look at verse number seven. He says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away, from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me like David is begging God like God I want you to change me I need you to change me and he's acknowledging at the same time I can't change myself I cannot change myself see every single one of us has areas of our life that don't look like Jesus we just do I don't know what that area is for you. I know what the areas are for me, but there are areas in our life that do not look like Jesus. And so here's what David is doing. God, this area does not look like you, so would you change it? How different would our life look if we did that? Like God, my temperament toward my wife and toward my kids, it doesn't look like you. So so would you please change that about me? God, the things that go on in my mind, like the thoughts that I think about other people, they don't look like Jesus. So would you change them? God, the attitude that I have toward my parents, it, it doesn't look like you. So would you change it? Like when's the last time you woke up in the morning and recognized like there are things about you that God needs to change. And so you asked him to change them. How different would our life look if we did that every morning? I think it'd look very different. How different would our life look if we woke up in the morning and we said, God, I need you to change me, not God, I need you to change everybody else. And we do that. Like we get the Fox News notification on our phone in the morning. And, and, and it's like, everything's going wrong in the world. And so we pray for all these other things like, God, would you change president Biden? And would you change Kamala Harris? And would you, would you change all of these people? Because they really, really need to change. Like they really need to change me. I, I'm not as bad as them. I'm okay. I'm not quite as bad, but them, they really need to change. I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for that. We should pray for our president, but we should also pray that God would change us. That's what David is saying here. Not everybody else needs to change. No, God, I need you to change me. David's admitting, like, God, I have some serious problems. I just killed someone. I killed a man. And I need you to change who I am. So ownership recognizes God's character. Ownership recognizes that God needs to change you. And then ownership admits that it was your sin, not somebody else's. Look at verse number three. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. So David says, I acknowledge my transgressions. Like, God, I know that what I did is sin. I acknowledge that it was wrong. I acknowledge that it was, that, that it was an evil, heinous thing that, that I did. And then he says, my sin is ever before me. In other words, that it, it's in front of me all the time. I can't escape it. I, I can't get away from it. It's not something that I can just leave alone. I can put in the back of my head and I can never think about it again. No, God, it's constantly in front of me. You're constantly bringing it to my mind. See, this is the difference between Genesis 3 and Psalm 51. See, because what David could have done is what many of us do, is is what I do. What David could have done is the same thing that, that Adam and Eve did in Genesis 3. David could have said, well, if Bathsheba wouldn't have been bathing there, like, I wouldn't have had a problem. Or if my servants would have just encouraged me a little bit more, I wouldn't have had her come over. Or, or, or if the general wouldn't have liked, like just gone along with my plan, if he would have done something about it, then, then I wouldn't have done it. Like, really, it's their fault, God. It's not really mine. Or, or, or he could have said, God, if you would have just let me sleep that night, and if you didn't ha- how, like make me have a sleepless night and get up and walk around my roof, if you would have made me sleep, then I wouldn't have done it. So it's really your fault. Or he could have said, you know, honestly, the temptation, it was just too much. The, the enemy came to me, and the temptation was too much. And so really, it's not my fault. It, it's, it's, it's Satan. It's the enemy. But see, that's not what David does. That's not what David does in this passage. He says, it's my sin. He says, I acknowledge my transgressions. And my sin is ever before thee. It's not somebody else's. It's not you. It's me. David says that it's his sin, not somebody else's. This is the, ens- the essence of ownership. So, so when you lose your temper, it's not your kid's or your wife's fault. It's, it's, it's your fault. When I get upset when I'm driving down the road because somebody's driving too slow and, and I get unjustifiably angry, that's, that's not their fault. That's my fault. When we think thoughts that we shouldn't think about somebody else, it's not because uh, of how they're dressed. It's you. It's, it's me. It's our mind, not theirs. When my wife and I are arguing, it's not all her fault. There's an aspect of it that's mine. Most of the time, it's all mine. But, <laughs> but most of the time... There's at least an aspect of it that's my fault and that's your fault. We can't just pin our our sins on other people. It's not everybody else's fault. When when you're disrespectful, it's not your parents' fault. it's, It's yours. It's not you. It's me. So ownership, first of all, recognizes the character of God. It recognizes that God needs to change you. Ownership admits that it was your sin, not someone else's. And then lastly, ownership realizes that that sin deserves judgment. Look at verse number four. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. David says, Against thee and thee only have I sinned? Now, David's not saying that he didn't sin against Bathsheba. Like, like, that's not what David's trying to say. David did sin against other people, but he's saying that ultimately, in the grand scheme of things, the, the only person that he really did any wrong against was God. Friends, that's the person that we sin against every day. Yes, we need to confess to other people when we do them wrong. Yes, we need to apologize. We need to say that I'm sorry. But ultimately, the only person that we do wrong when we sin is God. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 4.30, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Like when we sin, it grieves him. The way we would say it today is it makes him sad. It hurts him. The same is true when you sin and when I sin. It hurts him, like deeply, because it's where his child, and he understands the end of sin, like he's been God for quite a long time, and he understands that when you sin, you are destroying yourself. And it grieves him, it hurts him. And then he says this, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Keep in mind, the last time that God had spoken to David, when, he, when Psalm 51 is being written, the last time God spoke was when he told him that his child was going to die because of the sin that he did. And David said, that's justified. What I did deserves judgment. It, it deserves to be judged, and it deserves to be judged harshly. So what David's saying is, is God, anything that you send my way, I deserve it. Man, how different is that from from our daily life? We don't feel like we deserve anything. We don't feel like we deserve when somebody cuts us off, like driving down 6th Street. We don't feel like we deserve it when, when we come home and our spouse is a little bit grumpy. We don't feel like we deserve those things. But David is saying, hey God, the fact that you are going to take the life of my child, I deserve it. That's totally different than the way that we often think. But here's the bigger application. Every sin that you've ever committed causes you to deserve spending eternity separated from God in a place called hell. Every sin. Every sin that you've ever committed, it deserves hell. When you lose your temper with your spouse or your kids, that is deserving of spending eternity separated from God. When you look at someone to lust after them in your heart, Jesus said that you've committed adultery with them already in your heart. That is deserving of spending eternity separated from God, burning in pain in a place called hell. That's what it deserves. When you talk about someone in a way that's not helpful but harmful, it it it, it causes you to deserve spending eternity separated from God in hell. How about this? When you drive five miles an hour over the speed limit, that's a hard one for me. Speeding in general is a tough one for me. But we're disobeying an authority that God has placed in our life, and doing that causes us to deserve spending eternity in hell. That's what we deserve. And David is saying, he's admitting in this passage, God, any kind of judgment that you are going to spend send my way, I deserve it. I deserve all of it. That's ownership. When's the last time you thanked God and said, God, I deserve to spend eternity in hell, but it's because of your son Jesus that I'm not, and I just want to thank you for it. See, that's why we can own our sin. The reason that ownership is possible is the gospel. Because apart from the gospel there is no other way that we could own up to our sin without the gospel I would totally understand if we if we spent the rest of our life saying that every every sin that we've ever committed is somebody else's fault I would totally understand that apart from the gospel because we're trying to justify ourselves we're trying to, to make sure that we can have a relationship with God outside of Jesus because there's no other way that we can get to God and so you're saying God it's somebody else's fault and if you wouldn't have done this and he wouldn't have done that and, and and if you wouldn't have put me in that situation or if the devil wouldn't have tempted me God God like please let me let me in. Let me have a relationship with you. But God's saying, "Whoa, oh, oh, whoa, oh, oh, whoa, oh. whoa!" You don't have to blame people anymore. You don't have to blame people anymore because I put the entire wrath that I was going to put on the world for their sins on my son. I put all of it on Jesus, not some of it, not most of it. All of it. So you don't have to blame people anymore. You don't have to say that everything is somebody else's fault. Because God's put the extent of his wrath on his son. He paid for all of it for you. The Bible says in Romans 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. None. None we don't have to experience the full judgment of our sin because of what Jesus did for us. That is why we don't have to blame people anymore. We're we're free to own our sin because we don't have to experience the judgment of it. We're free. We're free from it. You're free to own your own sin. You don't have to point the finger anymore You don't have to say if they weren't like this or if that person wasn't this way. No, you're able to say this is my sin. But God, I know your character. I know your mercy. You're able to go to God and you're able to say, God, I know you love me. I know you want to change me. I know that when I sin, it's my fault. And I know that it's deserving of punishment. Like it's deserving of judgment. Forever in hell. But I also know that Jesus died for it. That I don't have to experience the the, the judgment of my sin. And I'm able to just have a relationship with you. We're free to say it's not you. It's me.